Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy, and let us know what you think. Be still and know that I am God. 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 That's great. 97 years ago, in 1925, Pope Pius XI, this is going to be a history lesson, you're just going to have to roll with me. Pope Pius XI instituted the festival in the church year which we celebrate today, Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday of the church year, so we're right on the cusp of New Year's Eve. It's very exciting. Now, I want you to pause just for a moment and think with me about what was happening in the world at that time. 1925. The Roaring 20s saw leaps and bounds of change in social structures, even as the economy, as we know, looking back, was speeding on towards an unknown future collapse. The world was in the midst of recovery following World War I. Benito Mussolini had named himself dictator of Italy, and in Germany, Hitler had just convinced the country that the Nazi party would definitely only follow the democratic process, leading to its reinstatement as a political party and its slow and steady rise to prominence throughout the 1920s. And as strange as this next sentence might sound, I want you to know that it is honest to God the truth. At that time, and in that climate, The Pope's actions were bold and courageous as he brazenly waded into dangerous political waters with the naming of this festival and the words of his papal encyclical. Now, I know that's weird, but it's just just true. So go with me for a little bit here. And while this encyclical, this writing that the Pope put out, was written specifically toward bishops and the Roman Catholic Church, it also spoke really, really intentionally to lay people around the world across denominations, encouraging them not to trust in the increased secularization and nationalism that was spreading rapidly in many countries. And so he wrote, in part, the faithful, by meditating upon these truths, will gain strength and courage enabling them to form their lives after the true Christian ideal. He, Christ, must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truth and to the doctrines of Christ. And he continues, he must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, or to use the words of the Apostle Paul as instruments of justice unto God.
Or, to sum it up, hey, y'all, your governments, your politicians, your leaders, they are trying to convince you that it's their way or the highway, and that's a problem. They're trying to convince you that your safety and your security and your family's future is centered in them and their power. They are dividing you. They want you to look at one another and be afraid of anyone different from you. For you to believe that they alone have the power to save you. Don't believe it for a minute. When the powers of this world divide and bring fear, remember that God alone reigns in your hearts, in your minds, in your homes. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know So if you've ever wondered why it is that we gather on this last Sunday of the church year and we read again the story of the crucifixion, this is it. It is, quite simply, in order to center us all once again on the cross. To bind us once again to the core message of the gospel and to draw us fully and completely into the story of Jesus Christ, and to remind us that we, each of us, are beloved of God, and so are they, whoever they might be. So as we prepare together for the coming of the Advent season, looking forward to the birth of the Christ child, we are given on this day a vivid reminder of the reason for Christmas, the reason for the season. It is because of the death of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that his life and resurrection have meaning for us and for the salvation of the whole world. And so when our communities are fractured, when division reigns in the world around us, sound familiar? This text challenges us to expand our notion of who's in and who's out, who deserves mercy, who God loves. And it does it in a really interesting way. This passage from Luke, Luke's crucifixion narrative, is built around three instances of people mocking Jesus in verses 35, 36, and 39. And each of these tauntings challenges Jesus to save himself as proof, as a demonstration of his identity. The community leaders, the soldiers, and the criminal each address him with titles like Messiah and Chosen One and King of the Jews. But of course, each of these titles, while intending to be mocking, show forth the truth of who Jesus truly was. His identity as Messiah and King, though, are not tied to some sort of exaggerated earthly power. Not to political parties, not to election wins, or to the number of guns in your arsenal, or the size of your armies. 
but instead they are linked inextricably to the cross, to his crucifixion, which is quite frankly insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. Saints and siblings in Christ, on this reign of Christ Sunday, on Christ the King Sunday, we do not proclaim Jesus King in the resurrection. We'll not come back in a few days and hear the resurrection story like we do at Easter. It's not going to happen. It's going to be some apocalyptic text, and it's going to be terrible and wonderful, and Vicar Erica is going to bring it, but it's not going to be the resurrection. We proclaim Christ King in his crucifixion, in torture, in pain, in death. We do not proclaim Christ King as he leads armies or as he hands down verdicts of condemnation. We do not proclaim Christ King with a story of vengeance and great power. We proclaim Jesus Christ King as one whose final act was mercy, forgiveness, quiet exchanges with one who seeks him in his final moments. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In the scene before us this morning, we witness again the wide scope of Jesus' offer of salvation. There is no barrier for acceptance into Christ's kingdom. Let me say that one more time because it's important. There is no barrier to acceptance in Christ's kingdom. Jesus offers salvation to people who are worthy only of the most extreme punishment for their sins. Even those carrying out the crucifixion and the mockeries are forgiven by Jesus. Father, forgive them, he says, for they do not know what they are doing. Even those who killed Jesus received mercy. And while much can be taken from the story of Jesus' response to the second criminal's uh, request for mercy, one key point I think remains. Jesus ignores the calls to save himself. At the end of this story, the cross, death, and the grave still hold sway. Because it is through the cross that he comes into his kingdom where those the world deems unrighteous may share in the salvation of the righteous. His reign is not a death-dealing system that is intent on punishment, but a paradise, we hear, that today extends even to those who we do not think deserve it, which sometimes might even be ourselves. God is God, and we are not which is probably the best news that I can think of most days. <laughs> Friends, let me say it again. There are no barriers to acceptance in God's kingdom. None. 
So maybe, as we enter into a new church year, into a new Advent, our New Year's resolution can be that we should stop throwing up those barriers in our world, too. Does that sound all right? So for that good work, we can all say, Thanks be to God.